Okay, Shalom. so welcome. Welcome, welcome to another program of Zusammen. Hi, Tzipi. Hi, Tzili. And we are here in order to summon oil our brain cells. I, you know, so it is, uh, so we chose somebody that it's, it would be very nice and pleasant to, you know. Always fresh. Always fresh. <laughs> so Tzili, would you like to? Edgar Keret, the yeah. writer. I think that we don't have to add because I think everybody knows no, Edgar Keret and the uh, writer and playwright and the uh, filmmaker. Yes. And filmmaker. And now he's so a television lovely. show. A television show. Because we have to relate art to it. Project, uh, oh, right, 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 Art right, project. Wait, wait. I'm going to ask, but later, because I just remembered that you did an art project with Pinto. In Valpinto. Valpinto. And I forgot his name in Japan. And it and Silly showed it in a gallery in Times Square. Yeah. In Times yeah. Square. And later, please, you we'll tell me about, about it. it okay. Yeah. But, yeah. but I have to remember because you know there's we'll so many chaos. I remind you, I remind you. Well, there's so much chaos in my mind from CP is listening to 17 uh networking at once, both in Israel and in New York. And then she gets such a big headache and Every time she says something else that is about something else, but it's all connected. So it's, it's all connected. It's all connected. So do you want to I consult something? Oh, yes. I want to ask you, Edgar. You know, I live in New York for many, many, many years now. And <laughs> many, many, yeah, many years. Okay, okay. Uh, 30 years, 30 years. And you know, by the way, that in the beginning, when I came to New York and I asked everybody, I was like terrified. I asked everybody, how long are you here? And they told me 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. I got scared. And I said, this is not, this is, doesn't sound good. And they said, oh, don't worry, it goes fast. And then I realized in the beginning that uh, I don't count the years that I'm here when I calculate time. So I used to calculate and I go backwards. And if somebody asked me about when was this and Mm, and I calculated something and then all of a sudden over time it didn't work together and I said something is missing it doesn't make sense it, it doesn't go chronological and I realized that I don't count the years that I'm here I had a totally uh, disconnect it, it, totally it's, it, it's a I think it's a new anti-aging startup <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one that's a good one but then afterward i said all right all right what am i going to do i'm here anyway so okay so i pile up the years and that's it but it's now 30 years so anyway uh my dna my my language dna is rooted in hebrew doesn't matter how many years i'm outside of israel of and um I, it's my navigation in the language is not the same. You know, I'm totally different person in Hebrew, totally different person in English. And although I'm comfortable in the, in the English language and basically not always clear, I'm not always clear. And sometimes I hear myself, I say, what am I saying? Because it depends on my emotional status or my, if I'm tired or not. And uh, because I have all kinds of versions but um, I'm not free. Well, first of all, my uh, vocabulary in Hebrew, of course, is much bigger and larger and, and wider, but I, I'm also much freer. So I can really navigate freely between all the fields of my imagination and reality, which I don't have in English the same way. We don't way. have the nuances also. No, it's like, it, it's not the same because my world is shapes and colors. So I can translate it in Hebrew much better. In, in English, it's more strict and it's not, I don't like it many times. But anyway, I wanted to ask you, when you, because you run around the world a lot and you perform a lot and you read your stories a lot, when you read a story in English outside of Israel, do you feel home in your story as much as you feel home when you write it and read it in Israel in Hebrew? It's a little bit like, uh, let's say, if the story is my wife, then it's like going to an event with my wife where she has to wear high heels, you know? <laughs> wow. So, so she is my wife, but it's a little bit awkward. Like I, you know, Yamasi behaves in a more free, in a more free way. 
Yeah, but but um, by the way, just a second, you know, in the beginning, I have to say something. When I used to go with Leon to events and everybody wore high heels. Leon is a, a deceased husband. My late husband. Late husband. We used to go to events, black tie events, and you need to dress up and, and they wear heels. And I can't. I never wear heels. You know, I can't stand You're it. You're so tall. You don't need That's heels. That's right. That's right. You know how so, many? I'm, I'm sitting on two pillows. <laughs> so uh, once Leon told me, you need to wear high heels. Why? And then, so I did. I took high low heel so he said you walk very awkward I said I want to see you walking on these things and then come to me so then there was a big event for him so I wore boots you know with the laces and he said what's that I said nobody cares for me it's all about you nobody looks at my feet and I can bring you a note from the doctor just leave me alone and it, we never spoke about it again I always wore what I wanted and that's it against all the rules it's but possible but, but she just uh, first I wanted to ask you which I will delay for a minute about uh, what happened in the translation of you know when you write in Hebrew and then it's but I will wait for a minute and jump really far because she mentioned that she told, she told her husband, why don't you think, what does it mean from a point of view of a woman? So one of my questions much later was, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, can you write from a point of view of a woman? Oh, I did. I, I wrote quite a few, not many stories, not but many. I would say maybe a dozen stories uh, written from a woman's point of view. But look, I write stories from a hired killer point of view, from an elderly demented person's point of view, from a, a, a rabbit's point of view. So I think it would say something very bad about me if I couldn't write a story from right. a woman's point of view. But do you, forgive me, you know, I'm not a scholar. I'm, you know, I'm, well, I will say it, I'm a professor in film and television at NYU, but I'm not a, other things, you know, I'm really very careful, even about films, I'm careful. So um, when you portray women, women, do you portray them as confused? Or, you know, no, or so stuck, I want to say something. Like the men? So, so when, when I portray character, I, it's not as if like, I don't know, I, I read a lot of uh, researches and let's, I write about the construction worker so I go and work for three days. I never do that. You know, I think it's a, they talk, when they talk about a, a, a creative, creativeness, they say that there are like two models, okay? The model of the a, a lamp and the model of the mirror. There are those kind of creators that seek things in the world and wants to describe them. And there are writers a little bit like me that basically when they write about a situation, when they write about the, a, a character, they imagine themselves in the situation. So, so I can give you an example. You know, when I wrote a story about a hired killer, I wanted to find something, to find some kind of an affinity between me and that hired killer. And the story uh, begins with him uh, receiving a contract, you know, like the photo of a person he needs to kill in an envelope and he says even before I open the envelope I know I'm going to kill this guy why because if I if I say to myself I'll take it out and if it will be a smiling baby or an innocent elderly woman and I say oh no no this I can't kill then I can be I can write myself out of business because nobody deserves to die so you either kill everybody or you don't kill anyone now when I wrote this paragraph it was a paragraph that I took from myself because this is my ideology when it comes to publishing stories. So if I write a story and I say, oh, this story will offend my aunt or this story, my ex-girlfriend will discover that I never liked having sex with her or something like that, then I never uh, take that into consideration. I ask myself, is it a good story or is it a bad story? And I say, if I start thinking about the effects it has on life, then then basically uh, liter literature will lo lose its kind of autonom autonomous role for me. So by by finding something in a killer that I could recognize in myself, I had some kind of a 
a, a holding to the character and from it I wrote the other things. So, for example, when I when I write a story, outside, by the way, is written from a feminine point of view. So when I write a story, then basically, the, the let's say the main thing that I could give my character is that uh, uh, she's very sensitive to smells. So you can imagine there is a woman who's very yes, sensitive to smells. But, <laughs> but it's not like I say, oh, I'm going to write a story about a woman. So I will start with her period and then uh, talk about uh, her maternal experiences. No, I write a story about a human being and I say, okay, what can I connect in my mind that will be, we work with that character, you know? So it's something uh, I don't think that, that my aspiration is that when I write a story, you say, oh, I want to, to learn more about women. So I write, so I read more Edgar Carrot's character. To what, to what extent you involve your personal life? To, do you have like a red line, how no. much to bring from your family, from your friends into the story, or you just go all the way? I go all the way, but, but what I can say is that there is something about the way that I write my story, that it's like kind of a, 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 a cyber mechanism. When, mm -hmm. I, when I, 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 I put my life out there, but it's totally coded. So in a sense, when I write a story, I, I'm always afraid that people will discover stuff about me, but I see that when I read them, they can they connect to the emotion, but they don't know the real context. So the moment that you move it into fiction, you're kind of safe because let's say uh, if I uh, write a, a story about uh, uh, me uh, talking uh, uh, to somebody, and in the middle, uh, thinking how uh, it would, imagining how I could murder that person, and uh, I don't know, throw, throw, throw him or her to the river, then you read the story and you say, ah, oh, I know this kind of anger, I recognize it in me. But you'll never know if I wrote a story about you or about somebody else. Uh, so, so it's both, it's kind of, it's truthful. It's a little bit like, you know, imagine somebody coming to court and saying, you know, I killed three people, but I won't tell you what's their name, where, when I did it or where it was done. You can't put the guy in jail. You know he's a killer, but you can't put him in jail. So everything you think about, you can so learn a lot about me from the character. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but, yeah. but, you, but you never you never know what I fantasized, what I dreaded, what I actually did. So it does give you this kind of protection. So, so wait, so you don't, you, before I understood it, you don't protect your characters and you don't protect people around you. You just write what you feel like, you know, what you want. Yeah, I, I protect, protect them writing. also nonfiction. For example, when I write a nonfiction piece, I will not publish it if my wife, my, my son, my friend will say, we don't, we don't want you to tell people right. that, yeah. I don't know, that we... Yeah make fun of cats you know i don't know it will look yeah. bad in our cv no, so I, 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 do I do the same when i i happened to me in my documentaries i took out characters because um, it, it it will change their life in a way that they don't want and i said life is more important than yeah so than so, so, so when, when i do it with non-fiction uh, I, I it's totally justifiable for myself but let's say if my son did something that is i tell you something let's say in my in my last uh, collection a uh, glitch at the edge of the galaxy there is a character called michael varshavsky and he's this really bitter ashkenazi second generation guy who fights with everyone now this guy is based on me when i was six years old six. but i wrote him as a 56 years old man so I took uh, things that I remember because uh, let's say uh, this guy, uh, uh, he's very angry that his mother uh, who is a Holocaust survivor can't go to entertainment facilities on Holocaust Memorial Day. So this sounds like a ridiculous idea. Why would somebody be angry that a cinema or is closed on Holocaust Memorial Day? But when I was a child in Israel and both my parents were Holocaust survivors, 
And on Holocaust Memorial Day, all the stuff on TV was about the Holocaust. All, all the songs in the radio were about the Holocaust. All the newspaper were about the Holocaust. And I saw my parents already uh, terrified from these days that will come in a week, <laughs> a day in which they cannot suppress their traumas. Then as a child, I thought that the role of Holocaust Memorial Day was to torment the Holocaust survivors. I thought that, there was some, that it was this kind of a disgusting wow. initiative of government officials who didn't like Holocaust parents, uh, Holocaust survivors like my, my, my parents, and they wanted to show them. So uh, when I became seven years old, I understood that my theory was wrong. But here I took this theory and put it in, in the mind of a well-educated 50-something-year-old person. So nobody can trace it or judge me for that or judge me as a six-year-old for that because what I write in the end is fiction. It's a story. Yeah, but if I but, take all the pieces, if I, somehow, if I was able to take a, uh, to devise a program or something, uh, can I create from all these stories a, a puzzle? Can they get the, the puzzle of you, of you at the end of the day? Uh, uh, I, I don't know if you can or you can't, but for sure all the ingredients are there. Yeah. You know. It's a, and I'm saying some of those ingredients are really not that uh, uh, apparent in real life. For example, in many of my stories, there is a lot of aggression. But, but you know, in real life, I'm a vegetarian. Uh, since the age of five, because I saw Bambi and didn't want to torture animals, and I'm a little uh, smiley guy, but this aggression exists in me, even if I don't express and everybody, it. Everybody, forgive me. Yes, everybody. So, so, so I'm saying, so I'm saying that 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 it's a uh, that it, it's but you like channel a, it through your stories. You don't do it in your personal life, but you channel it. You use it. So he's afraid of it. For, you should be afraid. I'm afraid of it. It's faith. a good solution to to survive it well. You know, I remember a long time ago. Wow, how long? I remember anyway. I don't know if I should tell the story, but Kissinger came to Israel and a lot of West Bank settlers came in Jerusalem. And I just wanted to experience it. But I was amazed by the sense of violence that came out of me. Uh, and that's the first time that I realized I have violence. Can you believe it? And by the way, later I was uh, writing Tel Aviv Berlin where I did ask, how, are we accountable of what we are doing? What we did in Lebanon, what we are doing in the West Bank? Are we accountable? So I know we all have this. And by the way, just uh, sorry, but Shalom Hanor just came up with a new song. Mm -hmm. And yes. he's talking about, you know, that going down, it's the bad and the good are going at the same time. You know, and then I, I think I also used Goethe who said the sun shines on the bad and the good. And, you know, I don't know about you. So are you? Because I wait a second. I have to tell you something funny about Kissinger. When Kissinger came to Israel, I think he came to Israel. I was in high school, maybe 11th grade. I don't remember. And we had a stationery store next to the school. And then he married. This was These were the days that he married Nancy Kissinger. And you, you remember, she's you a very, very tall woman. So I remember once in the break between the classes, I went to the store to get something and they had old ladies uh, selling. And one of them looked at me and she said, you see, it's okay. Even Nancy got married. <laughs> <laughs> that was a story with a twist. I liked it. It was, it was so good. funny. Yeah, so, so I guess... I, I know we, I, I mean, we bit, uh, took, you know, the side, not a side road, a very important road about it, you know. I don't know if most people in Israel be, really feel accountable for what we are doing. Well, the truth is, you know, I'm not, I'm not a sociologist or so I, you know, I, at most I can talk either about myself or about the human condition. All the stuff in the middle, I get confused. I, can, I, I think that usually people uh, uh, live in a very subjective sphere, telling themselves the, the, the stories that would make them feel best with themselves. And most of those stories are not true. You know, it's- uh, But leaders cannot do it. What? Leaders 
cannot do it for my. Oh, we, we have do it all the time, terrible. But they shouldn't because then they cannot have a, the truth or the the right vision. It's all distorted. Uh, it is distorted. It is distorted. But I'm but I'm saying you know it's I think that the <sighs> gift the gift of writing is for example. Let's say I, I have some kind of an experience. I fight with a guy in the store. And then I come and I write a story about the situation. So when I fight with the guy in the store, I feel righteous. I feel like I'm Jean, Jean, Jean of Arc of the consumers. I feel like I'm the Mahatma Gandhi of the buyers in the store. I'm not fighting for the five shekels. I'm fighting for the principle, you know? But when I write a story about it, It basically, it, you change the point of view. If you all the time see your life from this angle, when you write a story, you put the camera up there. Right, right. And, and your responsibility as a writer is to understand your character. So when I fight with the guy in the store, I don't feel any empathy towards him. You know, if he would fall down and die, I would say you had it coming. But when I write a story, I'm basically this guy's father and mother because I, I invent this character, I invent his thoughts. So I cannot alienate myself from him. So I feel that there is something about my experience with art that it makes me much more accountable for my action. Right. You know, I, could, I can write a story and then go to my son or my wife or my brother and say, listen, I'm really sorry about what happened two months ago. I just realized. that you are in this situation or that you One of, yeah, I really wrote it down. I really asked myself if through your characters, you actually discover things about you. So I, I can say that, that, you know, it's a spoiler, but I don't, I don't think that you're going to see it uh, very soon, but that in the miniseries that I did with, uh, uh, with uh, Shira, yeah. then It's basically it's a story about a per person who insists on having closure with his parents. Oh. And, the, and basically at the end, the thing is that he, he can reach closure with his father, but he cannot reach closure with his mother because she's dead. And the, in, the, in the end, he goes back in time. To meet her when she's young to achieve closure with her wow. so so the idea, i think that there was something about this idea that it's exactly what i do when i write you know i go back to third grade and you know and i know that they the little the girl that stabbed me with a pencil and which i hated there was actually she actually liked me and she was trying to get my attention But i need to write this story 40 years later to understand that right it's like therapy only cheaper I know you don't pay for a psychiatrist, but tell me something, you know, I don't want to annoy you, but I, I think that most people are looking up and expecting people like you to be the compass of the truth, of the how big one of to, find, to find the right yeah. way to point out, uh, you know, the base of morals and values for us. I don't know if you know so, so, so first of all, I want to say that writers, they serve different functions in different societies. Mm -hmm. In Israel, uh, based on the Hebrew expression at Sofele Bet Israel, the role of the writer is special because, you know, the most famous writer that wrote in Hebrew was God. So, so there is something very holy about the written uh, Hebrew language. And you know, and we were lucky enough to have writers like the late Amos Oz or David Grossman right. that are really that they are really like a secular prophets. Have, Absolutely. And, and, and this function, I want to say, it's not universal. It's Israeli. Now, for me, as a young person, I was a reader, but when I would read Amos Oz, I would say, oh my God, I can never be a writer because here's a guy who knows the way and I don't. But then I discovered writers like Kafka or Bashevi Singer that really don't, in a sense, they do have ethics, but they are no role model to anybody. And I thought to myself, I cannot write like Oz, but I can write in the vein of Shalom Aleichem or Kafka or Bashevi Singer that there are people who, uh, who do not write from 
a, let's say, some kind of a superior position of a mentor, but right sometimes even from an inferior position of somebody who runs to you in the street and say, excuse me, excuse me, lady, listen, what should I do? What should I do? My daughter, she all the time, she curses me. What should I do? So I feel that my writing position, it's a position, it's a position that is more about trying to get the questions right. Mm -hmm. but, but, but it very rarely offers answers. Yeah, but okay. I think that people, <coughs> since people read writers and they think that they express themselves easily, they expect them to really settle on the beacon and say, hey, you guys uh, write the ethics for us because we're looking up to you. But not, as you say, not every writer is a beacon. They just- No, I actually think that the, the truth is that most writers are not in real life, mm -hmm. uh, but, but, uh, but uh, many writers don't take these positions as writers. Right. I don't know if you read the, from contemporary writer, Gary Steingart, you know, Gary Steingart, you don't read his book and say, oh, this guy must babysit my babies. You know that he's going to flush them in the toilet and then apologize, <laughs> you know. So so there are many, many writers that we know. It's like uh, that, uh, that express all, all sides of humanity. You know, for example, one of my favorite singers, if not my favorite singer, is Bob Dylan. Now, I don't know Bob Dylan, but judging from his work, he's not a nice guy. You're right. No, but, uh, but, but it doesn't matter because I, when, when he sings, how does it feel to be on your own, like, like a rolling stone with no empathy, but even with spite, he's talking about a side that also exists in me. But you so, relate so, to his creation, not to his personality. And that's the thing, because uh, I can relate to something that somebody is putting out there I don't know the person and I don't know anything about but judging him. by his actions, but yeah, I judge yeah. him by his writing and that's yeah. what I relate to. Yeah, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm even saying something different. I'm, I think that when CP says, like, I don't know, when I, when I read a writer, I imagine or I expect him to be a, a, a compass, somebody who's very ethical or somebody mm -hmm. who knows things. So I say it's a little bit like saying when I think about an actor, I think about somebody very handsome. So what does it mean that Joe Pesci is a bad actor? <laughs> you know, that Steve Buscemi is a bad actor? That, you know, the, the idea is that there is, as there is a difference between some kind of a, a, a con concept that we have a, of an idea or a position. That's because we don't have leaders. The diversity that we have in it. It's like, we need know, it. But it's but, but, not only but, about leadership. I think it's about um, very humble human, basic human need to look up towards somebody. And they think that if you can do something that they cannot do, they would like to hear you. And many people are not even put themselves in a position of thinking of their own or saying of their own. They're looking for somebody else to say it for them or somebody that they can relate to something that they say. And then when they don't hear it, they get upset. So it, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's it, in, it, in a it, way, it's not fair. But you know, no, also, uh, don't forget, uh, okay, in your stories. Yeah, I, I just want to say something that yeah. has to do with, with filmmaking. So we, we, we it's, I think maybe it's something, it's something that, that, uh, is that, that can that can be relate, relatable, but I forgot what I want to say. So it doesn't matter. Because I disturbed you as usual. No, <laughs> I just wanted to say that you know people read your books, they do. Uh, I think are able to externalize the internal what they really either feel and don't want to acknowledge, like what we talking before. You know, there are round characters with a bed and things that we don't want even to look at ourselves this way. But somehow I don't think that we, that most people are able, maybe this is what we expect from writers, uh, to take it and make it bigger than myself. Yeah, but, but look, if I, if I try to go to the essence of, of writing or at least of my writing, is basically the ability to empathize, to feel empathy toward the other. But now I think, that we live in some kind of a paradox because I think that all of us, or not all of us, or many of us understand that empathy uh, is 
is important not only from an ethical point of view it kind of like it makes your experience of life much wider because if you feel empathy toward people it's a little bit means that you can see the world from different angles that you can be happy with people that you can notice when they said so everybody wants to be empathic but at the same time the reason that why we usually not empathic is that a, from a Darwinistic point of view, empathy is a problem. You know, if a lion a, eats a deer and while eating the deer, he connects to the deer's pain, then the, his ability to hunt will be damaged. So for, so for example, if you fight with somebody over a parking place, then you, say, you don't say, oh, this guy is obese. It will be difficult for him to walk home. Maybe I should give it to this, give him his parking <laughs> or or look, uh, I don't know, uh, he has a kid in the back and the kid really looks like a, a, a disgusting kid. And now you have to do all those uh, roles and look for parking with this kid, the uh, nagging. You don't. You say, what the fuck? I was here first. Move your car. No, move your car. And for us, he's the enemy. When I stand in a queue, you know, if you ask me uh, if if you could go like this and all the people in front of you in the queue will die, turn to dust, and it will be your turn, then my first urge would say, let's do it, guys. I don't know any of them anyway. But, <clears throat> but the idea is that this kind of a, a pragmatic aspect is just a very limited part of humanity. And, and the thing about art, that art allows us to liberate it. It allows, it allows us to be in a place that is it's safe enough to feel fully empathic. You know, we read books about murderers, we read books about sexual offenders, we feel sorry when they're executed, I don't know, in a movie or in a book. And the reason that we can do all that is that we know that we're safe, that we are not in a position where anybody can hurt us. And I think that, that uh, you know, in Hebrew we have this word tikkun, you know, your ability to correct something in you. Right. So I think that, that there is something about the, about the literature that it offers us this kind of tikkun, yes. this ability to listen without have, being afraid or to listen without being aggressive. And then we, we can keep this space in ourselves alive, even if we won't use it all the time. So how do we get to a point when it's safe, safe to listen, to have empathy? Uh, so, no, to our neighbors. Uh, no, okay. I always, I go to the politics because you know, this is, no, no, it's, except it's the virus, funny. except the virus now, this is the most, we don't talk about it, it's not on the table anymore, there is no discussion, no conversation, nothing, but when you think about no, it, it's in our life. Yeah, no, but, but I'm afraid, afraid simply that, you know, that the people who, are, who vote in Israel, who are very interested in this, uh, in this problem and who think that they have a solution for that, it's a very small group, you know. I belong to this group, but but uh, but uh, looking at the coming election, you know, we see the Labour Party that was the ruling party, and always either the biggest or the second biggest one. And now the parties that used to get thirty-five or forty percent of the vote is going to get five percent of the vote. So yes. I, I mean, if there are many reasons to that, for that, you know, some of them I can empathize with the people who feel them some of them i can't you know but uh, but uh, i think that in general if if i i, I may say something uh, a little bit reductive we are really really a uh, uh, humanity is going through some kind of pro process of devaluation de-evolution mm -hmm. de devolution de it's like when you look at stuff that happened in the us in the last year you'd say i could couldn't have imagined it 10 years ago uh, right. people you know doing what they're doing or right. acting the way that they do uh, i don't know a a, a candidate for president having him uh, having a video of him saying or recording of him saying when i when you meet a woman grab her by the pussy and then getting elected yes. you know would you imagine i don't know lincoln do it would could you imagine jfk doing it no, no but you mentioned the last 10 years and I think that um, I'll, 
well, I'll, I'll talk specifically about the Americans. They didn't really want to see many things. They pushing it. They were pushing it and hiding a lot of it uh, behind very thick walls, so nobody has to touch it. And if you really look at what's going on in the last decade in the in the United States, I don't think that many people would be that surprised that uh, Trump was elected because it was really was built well, up. I, I totally agree with you and I, I have a, a lot to say about that, but, I, but I'm not talking at it from a political point of view. I'm talking right. at it from the, from the point of view. It's like I'm saying, you know, uh, Nixon uh, was dishonest, but, but he was very much concerned that people will not catch him in a lie, you mm -hmm. know. I think that, that for me, Trump doesn't interest me as a person, oh, but he interests me as a phenomenon. Yes. You know, a guy who goes on air as the president of the US and say, how about if you drink some de detergent, maybe it will kill all the viruses. Then the idea is that a guy uh, with, with the Trump intelligence and views, uh, we would expect that even if he thinks this thought, he will not ask that in a press conference in front of an entire nation, but he does, and actually people don't care. So, so I'm saying the change is not in a, in in the our leader. The, the change is in humanity, and I think and I think that, that that we we are going through a process in which it's much more legitimate to say, I don't care for ethics or I don't care for human rights. I want to make more money, and I would like to have more sex. And I would like to eat better food. And the rest, actually, I don't care. I'm and really worried I that know. ethics is losing its uh, yeah. position. And it happens a lot, too much, and uh, for too many years. And people don't And it happens worldwide. It happens everywhere. Worldwide. You and know, it, even the, the little uh, video that was running through the networks in Israel a few days ago about yeah, the, the family, Palestinian the family. Palestinian family that went uh, to picnic. To a, picnic in the forest and a few settlers, uh, very, gun. very, very right-wing settlers, you know, the Hills guys with the guns came and bothered them and just kicked them out of there. And they were trying to fight it gently, but they were so mean and so brutal. And then on the top of it, the soldiers came and just kicked everybody out, also mean, and you can see that people don't but, care. But, but I know you're, you're a super intelligent woman, but, but this is a moment where I can feel that you've been in the US for 30 years, because two weeks before that, uh, the same kind of settlers beat up uh, the, the, the TV news guy, Oad uh, Hemo, who covers uh, this thing and you saw on tape that they hit him with a, with sticks the stick. and nobody got arrested and nobody right. got indicted and nobody got stopped so I'm saying so but I see it all the time and I'm in Israel a lot and I I'm active in Israel enough to not to avoid these things but it bothers so me that it takes place it takes place all the time. Look, they hurt soldiers. The no, soldiers no. are there to, yeah, to no, defend but, them. But, but, but what, I, what I want to say is that for me, the change is not in that because, you know, occupation yeah. is ongoing and it was before media. I think that the change is, for example, when, when uh, uh, our prime minister uh, who advocated the, right. the fact that, that the prime minister should be only chosen for two terms and he's running for his six or seven or eight yeah. term, doesn't feel that he needs to say, oh, I said that, I changed my mind, I apologize, I did something nope. wrong. Because right. it's okay. It's a little bit like, you know, a, 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 some kind of a machinery is at the moment that you switch off your a, country, they go to sleep, they wake up, they're not supposed to remember what you said. Right. It's like everybody is on numb. You know, on a NAM status. So I want to say NAM is maybe, you know, trying to understand the expression, but uh, their experience. But what I'm saying objectively is that, uh, uh, let's say, if you, it's not that the bar was lowered, it just does not exist. You know, I really think that if a commentator in a CNN in the middle of uh, talking about the news, will say to you, I tell you what I think about the news, and he will crap on the table, he will have five million more followers on his social media. Right. 
networks. You know, it's like, you know, in Israel, I'm just saying, <clears throat> I, I, I don't always see the news, but I was switching between three channels, I think, which we only have three channels, a, a broadcast channel. And in all of them, in the same time, they had a story about a woman that shouted at LeBron James in a Los Angeles Lakers game. Yeah. And you say, you know, the, this kind of bothering, uncomfortable moment for LeBron James, that for five seconds he said to somebody, stop cursing me or whatever. These five seconds were the highlight of this woman's existence. You yes. know, it's really right. like because she was on all network. So, so, so you re so you really say the moment that uh, you kind of strip the ethics, then it, it, then it's not about the uh, the sort of energies that you have. It's about the the quantity or the quality. You know, I I talked to a group of children, and one of them told me I admire Hitler, and I said to him, Why do you admire Hitler? So he said, How many people do you know that are more famous than Hitler? Amazing. Tell me something. Are you afraid? Because I'm asking you because I'm afraid. I find myself now even more afraid. I was not afraid until end of, I don't know, after the army. I didn't have a reason to be afraid because my socialization was that you don't listen to anybody. You just listen to what's happening here in Israel, not the outside world. And they really protected us, you know, in the youth movement and everything. <clears throat> I, I was not, I never was afraid. And now, gee, I'm afraid. I'm worried. I'm very worried. Uh, so, so I want to say, first of all, like I think you're in, intelligent people, so so you're rightfully uh, afraid. But 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 also the the way that I experience it is, I think that uh, the world is changing in an accelerated way. You know, so so this acceleration gives gives us some kind of feeling of a, a lack of control. Yes, it's a little bit like you know, you go with a car that goes really, really fast. Now, when I look at my son who's 15 years old, he was born to this reality, and he was born to the fact that you live a life in which nobody knows what's going to happen in the future, in which you learn things in such a manner that you know that maybe in a year you won't use it. Let's say when you learn an app, you know, it's not like learning to drive a car and say, I'm going to drive for 60 years. You learn an app and you learn it good enough to be able to handle it for the next six months because in six months you're going to move to another app. Another one. Yeah. So so when I look at my son, for him, this is a reality. For me, it's a transition. Now, any animal, you know, if you ever flew with <clears> a kitten, <throat> you know, in a, a in this little I flew with a dog and she took. <laughs> yeah. They don't like transition. We don't like transition. You know, if I would be an animal, I would like to go to the river. I know that there are no lions in it and drink the water every day with no change for the rest of my life. Now, this transition will create is creating a new reality. Now, to say that I feel that I understand reality less, for sure. To say that, that the word that ex uh, waits for my son by definition or subjectively will be a worse word, I'm not sure. Because I, I just give you an example. Uh, we, we are dealing with global warming. We are ruining the planet. We are uh, ruining the forest. But if you read all kinds of researches, people say that in about 60 years time, uh, we will be able to transform uh, our minds to computers yes. and live in an environment in which we could communicate with all the people we want, yeah. shut down all the people we don't want, create whatever reality we we wish you know and when i can say that maybe it, it could intimidate you but actually if you think about it it's really cool mm -hmm. the air can be polluted but i don't drink air I, i'm just i don't need air i'm just a mind you know yeah. so 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 what i'm saying is is that a lot of the processes that as processes can intimidate somebody because of transition because of the transition you know are processes that are so unpredictable in the good and the bad they can, they can do. I just want to remind you, let's say when Facebook started, everybody said, oh, what a liberal, wonderful tool. Here we have a revolution in Egypt because of Facebook, you cannot uh, use it for tyranny. But then we realized 
that actually it's the perfect tool for any populist leader. So it has good side, it has bad side. Apparently the bad side seem to be worse than the good side, but you know, I don't know, but tomorrow we will have a, a cars with, with no drivers. So, and there will be less pollution and no car accident and we will have more time. So everybody would know how to play the piano because they'll have more but, time. But you know, I find more young people now who ask, what is the meaning of life? They don't know, they ask it. So what's what it's all about? What is the meaning of life? But the examples that I would get as a child, you know, whenever I could say, I don't know, uh, I'm unhappy with my life. And they would say, you know, I don't know if when coal miners were sent into the mine and they had to dig for 12 hours each day, when they climbed out, they were so happy to see sunlight and to know that they're alive yeah. and that they can have a shower and, right. and rest for four hours mm -hmm. and they were happy. So you're unhappy? Yeah. You know, and but I there's think... a big gap between, let's say, we're worried about climate and it makes us afraid. But when you think about the next step of technology, it's exciting. So it's much nicer to go to, towards the exciting things because it's like a new toy and you can play with this. But some of us are afraid of also from the excitement because still it's a change. So you're locked in between what you know and familiar with, but it's going to destroy you maybe. And then towards something that you have no clue what it is, but if you won't go there, it might destroy you as well. Yeah, but, but, but what I think is that, that, again, there is some kind of hubris in the, in the position where, let's say, we say, oh, I don't know, I'm sad because humanity is going to be destroyed, you know, and if humanity will be destroyed and CP's dog will rule the earth and they make love to Cocker, Cocker Spaniels all over the planet, would it be... <laughs> Would it be uh, would it be worse? You know, would a would a word be be worse from what perspective? So I'm saying that you know things are going to happen. W right. Will it be good for trees or for nature or for barren planet? Will humanity stop? If you tell me that you know in a ten thousand years humanity will stop existing, I'm I'm not even saddened by that. It's not something that I can grasp right. in my perspective. So let me tell you something. I am. Um, I noticed, okay, that it's very, very hard to get money today to make films about the Holocaust or about the conflict. And besides, I'm really worried that the Holocaust will not be here in terms of our. Well, nobody will. Nobody will hold the torch. And. Um, but I want to ask you a question you about the Holocaust. You know, your parents and I have my family also, and. Um, I keep, I, I keep asking questions about the Holocaust and I think that soon nobody will ask any questions. But so my parents are also Holocaust survivor and my parents have passed away. But I <laughs> want to ask you a question. Do you think that the people are going to forget World War One, Or the Titanic drowning? No. No, so, so, so I, so, what I think, that's, I the think that's an interesting question. Okay, can you please? No, it's, it's not the proportion. The, the thing is that there are many, many historical uh, uh, actions yeah. that there's nobody, you know, nobody is, uh, is still alive who saw Lincoln's assassination. But, but, but the fact that, you know, the situations they're fighting for equality, the danger in it, the opposition for it. Is still very much alive when you see the debate between Republicans and Democrats. They're very much aware of the assassination of, of Lincoln, you know. So, so I'm saying that uh, I think that there is something symbolic in this thought that the last Holocaust survivor will be, will die. So, when the last Holocaust survivor will die, we will not be able right. uh, to hug and comfort and cry. We will need to do the things that you do after. 90 years pass or 100 years pass from an incident but the, but that's only that and and i think that many times the, there is something uh, we like to be self immersed usually in one emotion when basically it's always a cluster of emotion it's a, think about the pandemic you know the pandemic is horrible it scares me you know million, more than a million people died uh, 
economies were crushed, people will find themselves in the street, we were all sitting home and we were depressed. But if you look back at this year, you know, I live in Tel Aviv in a very busy street. It's the first time I live in this apartment for 27 years that I hear birds in the morning. So I'm not saying it's worth it, but but it's like, it's uh, my father who was a Holocaust survivor, he always said to me when I, when as a kid, I said to him, he was very precise. So I said to him, it was a, 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 the Holocaust, a, 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 like a bad, a bad period, period. period. I asked him as a little child and he says to me, son, there are no bad periods. There are difficult periods and easy periods. And he said, personally, I prefer the easy periods, but I have to admit that the, I learned about myself much more in the difficult ones. And I think that, you know, that in the end, uh, when we try to kind of tag something, you know, to say, it's bad. We're going down. We're going up. We we kind of we kind of lose the complexity of the experience, and we can always keep trying to reach the goals that we, that we want to, and not uh, deteriorate into relativism. And at the same time, uh, 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 ex uh, accept uh, ambivalence, accept the uh, complexity, accept the oxymoronic nature of our existence. Yeah, but but um, just to say that you talked about the birds, and uh, I know that we stopped listening to birds, we stopped, uh, I mentioned it in another <laughs> program, but being able to just look at the movement of a leaf on a tree, we don't do it anymore. But with the Holocaust personally, more than Lincoln and more than World War One and more, uh, maybe because I know all these people who were there, but I always was hoping that it will change humanity, that the questions that we ask about the Holocaust like how a culture like that could produce this. And then we look at other cultures who are doing it now. And, you know, that's okay. We all well, 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 you know, for example, when you look at about uh, the Holocaust, then if you want to see products of the Holocaust or uh, internalizing the Holocaust, then, uh, then let's say if you look at Germany and Japan in this crazy world that we're living, uh, let's say, our they belong to the more fair countries, you know, socially or <clears throat> now, now, in a sense, I, uh, I, I think that, that, uh, that uh, it's the, the people uh, who lose, who lose the war, the people who have the, you know, to, to carry this mark of Cain of that they are the ones who have to kind of deal with themselves and, and, and change, you know, but when history doesn't judge you harshly, then you are excused. You know, a little bit like, uh, you know, Stalin uh, killed more people than Hitler. But the Russians were never held accountable to it in the same way. You know that, you know that uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, if you take mass murderers, you know, then one place under Hitler, there is a prince or a prince, I don't remember his name, from Belgium, that is responsible to murders of millions in Congo, you know? So, but the, but the people in Belgium never saw themselves the, the way the Germans saw themselves, you know? They saw themselves as victims, as many Austrians saw themselves as victims without justification. And I'm saying that if you feel that you were done a great wrong, then it's not a good place to start a, a tikkun, a correction. You are uh, busy with, uh, with your shame and suffering and humiliation. The first step for change is to admit that you're doing something. But the, Poland is doing the, the Polish are doing the opposite now. They actually would like to have a law that you cannot, you, can, you should say that Poland was not really involved uh, but, but 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 by the way, this is not a Polish invention because the Turkish did it with the Armenian genof the mm -hmm. genocide before. Okay. before I, I tried to clean themselves. I think it's a again, you know, I think that a, it's a sign for a, a a regime that is not a strong and stable, and for a society that is totally a, a, a dichotomized when people need, need laws to contain their history. 
you know, I think like if you look at the healthy or the most advanced society, you wouldn't imagine such a law maybe in Denmark, right? Or you wouldn't imagine such a law, I don't know, in the Netherlands. But if somebody would say to you that, uh, that uh, in some kind of a tyrantship in Africa, they have such a law, they say, ah, okay. And what is the reason for that? I, the reason for that is that it's a little bit uh, like confidence, you know? If you're a martial artist and you go to a place, you, you wouldn't say to somebody, I'm going to punch your face. Because you usually say to people, I'm going to punch your, your face when you're scared. And yes. if you're confident enough, you wouldn't need yes. to threaten them. Yeah. So I think that even here, the, like if the Polish uh, psych would, didn't carry some kind of a heavy burden of self-guilt, they wouldn't want to do it. The same way that in Israel, you know, when, uh, uh, I don't know, whenever there is a movie that they criticize uh, the occupation, then the first thing people like Netanyahu or people from the government would say, I didn't see it and I don't want to see it. Okay. And I say, why? If you are not afraid, see it, make fun of it. Say mm -hmm. it's stupid. Why, why if, if somebody does a movie like Gatekeepers, you know, that talks about the prime minister, uh, the, 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 the connection between the heads of secret service and the prime minister, of Israeli history, if I would be a prime minister, this would be the first movie I would want to see. How was it with Ben-Gurion? How was it with my predecessor? You know, but Netanyahu doesn't want to see it. Why? If he totally thought he was right, he would really want to see it. And I'm but, saying- But that's not but you know, said that he's afraid. Of course, you know, I'm really, uh, I don't think that people learn from history. I don't think that people want to learn from history. And I think it's only like musical chairs and disasters are happening all the time. And as we are close to the, to the event, it's really burning in our bones. And then slowly, slowly, when you go further and the years passes by, you let go because you have to, to have room for other disasters. And unfortunately it happens all the time. It will keep happening all the time. And I don't see it changing because people are the same and people are people. But, but it, it also, you have to move on because you cannot live with the heavy weight of the disaster nonstop. You, you can't, you just can't. You have to let go and you have to move. Personally, it's hard for you because it's your parents. But if you think about it, we are now living in a time that the page of this time is in the middle of the writing. We didn't turn the page yet. It's in the middle of the writing and I don't know how long it will take. But all the other things are one page or a few pages or a few books that you just turn it and you learn about it. You don't really learn about it. You know it was there. You don't want to learn about it because you just want to save yourself from knowing and you want to move more. And it's, it's very he natural. doesn't let us, you know. Right. When, read, right. when we read your books, we cannot really get right. away. You know, but I then want to you... tell you the truth. I'm not trying to flatter you, <laughs> uh, but no, really, you know that you should, you should, you should kind of acknowledge your place. I, I hope you are, because you know, in in the midst of all this chaos and stuff, and all, look what we're talking about. My mom always oh. said, you, the deal is that if you believe all the good things that people say about you, you also need to believe all the bad things. Well, of course, I, I just told it. you, we expect... So, you better, to so she said you better be doubtful about both. You no, know? I just told you, we expect from you more. Tell your mom, oh, she's, she's passed away, right? But she's looking at us. But anyway, she should, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of proud of what you do. The but... best part is that it's short and you focus quickly. Yes. So you, you don't need to sit with 400 pages and, and go through yes. a whole process. Right. Two seconds, you're in, you hold no, no, everybody. Seconds, no, but it's short yes. and to the point. And Listen, I, I am kind of sorry because it's kind of late and we don't want yeah. to hold you. However, there are some things I was not satisfied because I didn't get from you the whole thing of moving from one media to another and what is the difference between we'll writing a book again. and, you know, making a movie. Anyway, so yeah, we should maybe. We, we have more talks, you know. Yes, okay, okay listen. Um, she knows you much more than me. But, you know, I kind of felt very comfortable and I think that I really, yeah, some things you sent me to think about. Mm -hmm. I must tell you. Anyway, tell him thank you. <laughs> thank you, Edgar. We'll oh, see you more. And thank everybody who came.
And we'll yeah. be here next week. Next week. And now we are going to eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Unbelievable. Okay, bon. Thank bye, you. Bye. Thank you.